Hello, and welcome to Real Nutrition Talk. My name is Olivia Russell, and I am the owner of a nutrition education business named Intuitive Dieta. And my name is Regan Alexander. I have my master's in nutrition, as well as my personal trainer certification through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. In this podcast, we are going to dive deep into health, wellness, and nutrition, debunking diet myths as we go. In our current age of information, it's nearly impossible to find useful nutrition advice, and it's really exhausting listening to all the contradictions that exist. That's why we're here. Follow along as each week we sit down to discuss a different topic in order to determine if it is diet trash or treasure. We're so glad you're here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited about this topic because it's controversial, and you know your girl loves a good controversial topic. <laughs> but as you as you probably saw, it's about calories in, calories out, and it's actually going to end up being a history lesson because <laughs> it's me, and your girl loves a good history lesson. So to get us started, though, I'm curious, Reagan. What amount of calories seemed like a lot to you at one point that you now know is like probably not enough? Okay. I love this question because I just giggle at myself. (laughs) It sounds so ludicrous saying it, but like 1,800 calories used to seem like, holy cow, that's a lot. And I don't know how that number ever lodged itself. I know how. It's diet culture. I think that used to be like the pre I think that's like the preset my fitness pal number for maintenance for women is 1800 calories. I don't talk about now like how many calories I eat on like cuts and bulks and stuff for weightlifting just cuz I don't think it's conducive and everyone's different. But let's just say that I don't even cut on that many calories. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not tall. I'm 5'4", so I exponentially more than 1800 calories so it's comical to me that that used to be like a ton right do you even count calories anymore it's it's is it just basically like yeah if I track it's gonna be macros like obviously you're gonna hit kind of a similar amount of calories if you're eating a similar amount of macros every day but yeah I don't care about calories I care more about the composition of the calories I'm eating yeah. Oh, we're going to learn more about that today. <laughs> I said Olivia said what her topic was and I was like, ooh, tingles. I just know it's yeah. going to be good because it's controversial. So Olivia does controversial well. Thank you. I try. <laughs> I remember 2,000 calories being like, oh, my God, who eats that much? <laughs> okay, never. <laughs> Yeah, in my anorexia days, like I remember tracking calories and putting my calories down to like 1500 calories and being like, yeah. And then so upset with myself when I went over, like the devastation I had when I went over my calories was like, it's kind of sad to think about now, especially after I've learned the history of calories. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, poor baby livers. Like, (laughs) yeah. Or you look at, like, toddlers, like, an active three-year-old needs, like, 1,200 calories, and that's what we're telling women to eat to lose weight. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, I know. It's horrible. 
So <laughs> let's get into it. Let's do it. <laughs> While I manically laugh in the background. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about where our calorie system even came from and how we define what a calorie is. So let's go back in time all the way to the end of the 19th century or the late 1800s depending on how your brain likes to think of those things i don't know i don't know about you but when people used to say like the 19th century the 20th century my brain was like oh the 1900s no it's the opposite if it's 19th century (laughs) it's the 1800s yes exactly the same i'm older than i care i was older than i care to admit when i realized the actualness of what like saying the 19th century meant so you're not alone you're not alone either we're not alone we'll create a support group (laughs) okay so in the late 1800s they were trying to come up with a measurement system for energy intake and there was one guy in particular his name was wilbur atwater You're going to want to remember that name because we're probably going to do a hashtag (laughs) cancel Atwater. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) After we hashtag cancel Ansel Keys, which we did last week. Right. Actually, I don't hate Atwater as much as I hate Ansel Keys. To be completely honest, this man had the right idea for his research. His whole goal was to ensure people got the right amount of energy intake with the limited resources. Because at the time we, like, it is close to the night or to the twentieth century, so there is a lot more food technology for saving food and storing food and processing food. But there were still many, many people who were under eating, and so he was trying to be an actual gem of a human and be like, how can we define what the accurate amount of energy someone needs in order to live? Well, you know, (laughs) at least have enough energy to just to live, just to survive. So he came up with something called the Atwater system. And basically the Atwater system is now, we still use this, which always boggles my mind because that was over 150 years ago and we're still using this system. But he is the one who created the definition for calories for macronutrients. So protein has four kilocalories per gram, carbs have four kilocalories per gram, and fat has nine kilocalories per gram. And he is the one that actually defined those through science, through his own scientific research. So you're like, how did he even define that? And that is a great question. That's what I wanted to know as well. (laughs) So he used something called a bomb calorie meter, which basically just burns food and then measures how much energy is released when you burn the food. And at the time, it was like super awesome. It was like, oh, we're going to burn this steak and see how much energy it, it costs for it to burn. And then we know how much energy is taken from burning it. I'm sure you can see the issues with it. I promise we will get there. But the next question is, (laughs) as Reagan has talked about, especially in her macronutrient episode, she said, all foods have all three macronutrients in some sort of variation, right? So like a steak isn't just protein, a steak also has fat in it. And so 
he needed to find a way to separate out each of those. And it gets quite mathematical, but basically what he did is he used something called ether, which is a fancy chemical liquid, to dissolve the lipids. And then he would subtract the amount that was taken out through the ether. And then in order to measure the protein content of something, he had a way to measure the nitrogen. And we know 16% of protein is nitrogen. And so he did a fancy mathematical thing where he figured out the weight of the protein using the nitrogen with the understanding that 16% of protein was with nitrogen. Again, it gets all sciencey and mathy, but that's the basis of it. And then for carbs, because there's no actual way to like define the amount of carbs that's in something, we still to this day do not have an accurate way to measure how many carbs is in something. And so what he ended up doing is he subtracted the amount of lipids and or the amount of fats and protein. And then he also subtracted the mineral ash after he burned the food in the bomb calorie meter. He subtracted all those and whatever was left from the original measurement, he basically defined as the carb measurement, which they still do something similar. It's, it's of course, more updated now, but they do something similar to measure carbs in food nowadays. And so he did that to kind of, it's the mathematical equation he did was basically he took the weight of everything and then defined the energy burned and then did a fun mathy equation to define the energy released based off of the proportions of the macronutrients that was in it. And then what he also did is he had people eat a measured meal of a specific macronutrient. And then <laughs> it's gross to think about now, but then he would look through the feces and be like, oh, there's still some protein in here. Oh, there's still some carbs in here. <laughs> and then he would also subtract that from what we digested. And that is how we got those defined measurements of four kilocalories per gram of protein and carbs and the nine kilocalorie yeah kilocalorie per gram of fat which is like fantastic great now we have a way to measure this but like i said that was 150 years ago they had to have updated right that right like i'm sure a lot of you can come up with several holes in that and again we're gonna go over those but you're thinking, modern science, we must have at least tried to fix this a little bit. Like, it can't, that can't be the end-all, say-all. And the answer is yes-ish. <laughs> so, <laughs> we updated it from the Atwater's general factors, which were the, the values I just gave you, the four, four, and nine. And... They updated it with some flexibility in the calculations, so they they modulated some things, but they only really did this for science. So the things that they account for in scientific research of calories today is they acknowledge that energy values do vary from the original calculations. For example, Egg protein has 4.36 kilocalories per gram, 
And brown rice protein has 3.41 kilocalories per gram. So it's not the exact four. There's variation. And they do take that into account. They also acknowledge that nitrogen is also present in things other than protein, right? Nitrogen's not just in protein. And so they allow for variation in nitrogen composition in different molecules of our food. Again, it's all science-y, but <laughs> they do take these things into account. They also acknowledge the fact that different types of carbs have a different energy value. So like monosaccharides, which are just simple sugars, let's just say regular like granulated sugar, is going to have a higher energy count than fiber, which doesn't necessarily always break down in our digestion to be used as energy. And so they acknowledge that carbs also have some variation. They also have put alcohol in its own category because we digest that very differently than we would other types of carbohydrates. And they also acknowledge that we expend energy by creating urine and gas products. So they do have variations, but all of that's really for the scientific community. That's not really for the general community. <laughs> so we still today use those values of 449. Those are still, that's what we learned in nutrition school. That's what you're going to find when you look it up. And while they, there's a lot of caveats that are always like, yes, there's variation, but for the labeling system, for the nutrition labels, they use those values for counting calories. So if you're looking at your nutrition label and at the very top it says calories and then the calories next to it, that's how they calculated it. They calculated with the sciency math equation for the 449 to calculate your calories. And so you're like, great, cool. We have a way to count energy values for our digestion. Fantastic. Wonderful. That seems so simple and easy. Ha! Of course, it can't be that easy. <laughs> and so naturally, I have plenty of issues with this and other people have plenty of issues with this. But there's two main issues with the Atwater system that we science acknowledges is an issue, yet we still don't fix because it's challenging to do so. And I'll explain that later. But the first main issue is... It doesn't account for the cost of digestion, so those values don't account for how much energy we have to expend in our digestion to actually digest food. <laughs> because our body is not a bomb kilometer, <laughs> calorie meter, sorry. Humans are not bomb calorie meters, right? We're not blowing up the food in our stomach. <laughs> That's not how it works. Our body breaks the food down to be utilized and in order to break it down we have to use energy to do that and that's not accounted for and so it doesn't really give an accurate assessment to digestion it only gives an accurate assessment to energy when it's burned which you know 
Influencers love to use the phrase, burn your calories, but humans don't burn anything in our body. There's no incineration happening in our small intestine, all right? (laughs) We have to break it down into very, very small molecules, which does require quite a bit of energy. And it also doesn't account for the fact that the energy expended varies per individual, right? We've heard about metabolism before, and everyone's metabolism varies. So one person might expend more energy breaking down a piece of toast than someone who, someone else has a different metabolism that digests it slower. So that's the first issue, is it doesn't account for the cost of digestion. The other big issue is the outwater system assumes that the proportion of food digestion is always the same no matter the state of the food. So when Atwater was doing his little experiments, and like I said, he was looking at people's feces and trying to figure out the proportion that was digested, he came up with, we digest 90 plus percent of our food. And he just assumed that that is the same for everyone. We always assume 90% or more of our food. Which, of course, we know is not true because it depends on the composition of your food. If you're eating a high-fiber diet that's full of insoluble fibers, you're not going to digest 90% of that. You're probably going to digest 50% of that. Whereas if you eat straight white bread with, like, fully enriched white bread (laughs) that's been through all the processing, you are probably digesting like 98% of that and it's being utilized because it's mostly simple sugars and that's one of the easiest things for our bodies to break down and digest. So not only does it cost less, but it also is easier for us and we're digesting more of it. So whatever comes out is probably not going to be as much as when you have a, uh, like if you eat celery, you're not going to digest nearly as much of the celery. Of course, there's nuances to this, but for basic terms, there's that. And so Atwater's system does not take that into account either. So those are two fairly large issues to take into account when we're thinking of energy expenditure or energy collection from our food products, right? So, of course, like I said, the scientific community acknowledges this, right? They're like, okay, we understand that these are issues, but (laughs) this is why I'm always trying to explain to everyone science is not infallible and science is not perfect and there's always room for growth and sometimes that growth is not permitted because of the challenges that it presents to do so. So I think one of the <laughs> one of the best quotes for this instance comes from this guy named Richard Ringham. I'm going to attach the book. It's called Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. And he basically says for this Atwater system, and he's, he talks about like how it's not infallible and how there's many issues with it. And science has brought this up. However, essentially, quote, essentially, Nutrition science is faced with choosing between the immense effort of accumulating nutritional value data that is difficult to quantify but accurate 
or on the other hand, using easily quantifiable but physiologically unrealistic measures yielding only a rough approximation of food value. And the, my favorite part in that is physiologically unrealistic measures. And so when we're talking about calories in, calories out, bringing this back to a head, right? And, you know, your favorite influencer is like, losing weight is simple. It's easy. You just have to calculate your calories in, calories out. But the calorie system itself is not true to human physiology. And so using calories as a way to define energy expenditure and energy value and the value of food is inherently false because the system itself is broken which is an issue, right? Because it's not taking into account the cost of digestion. It's not taking out into account the digestibility. It's not taking into account individual genetic variants. It's not taking into account bioindividuality. It's not taking into account gut bioindividuality because everyone's gut is different. And so you could have two separate people eat the exact same diet. And we see this a lot. And diet culture really likes to go after the people who quote-unquote fail with the calories in calories out because they're like oh they must have cheated or oh they must not be doing it right or you know all these other things because if somebody is eating the same amount of calorie intake as someone who's skinny versus someone who's living in a bigger body they're not necessarily going to have the same results and if you're just basing your assumption that the energy you intake is going to be utilized the same for everyone this is this is the issue right this is the issue with the assumption of calories in calories out i think um now's a good time to kind of pop in with uh this is a lot of the times the reason like if someone is counting calories to lose weight it'll work for a little bit and then all of a sudden for some reason you'll plateau and you're confused because you're still eating the same like lowered amount of calories. Obviously, lots of nuance of your your metabolism's adapting so your body's getting a lot more efficient with using said amount of calories that you're giving it. So, A, this shows the importance of you can't always be in a deficit. You need to take breaks. And also how our bodies can be trained to survive on different amounts, like different amounts can become your quote-unquote baseline. And I don't want to get this like too nuanced or anything, but that's why a lot of people when they come to work with like trainers like myself, people who want to do bulks or cuts, sometimes you have to invest a couple months and do what's called a reverse diet to get your baseline up higher because the temptation is, oh, I've plateaued. I need to lower my calories even more, even more. And that's when you run into people who genuinely are, are like, I'm eating 1600 calories and I'm like gaining weight back. Um, our bodies are smart and they drive to homeostasis. And so they're going to become as efficient as possible as quickly as possible. So that was kind of convoluted, but. No, you you make such a good point because it's true. That's why a lot of diets and it's easy to sell a diet is because you can get people on it again and again and again because they'll get on it and it'll work 
and the magic of it working is so fantastic. Someone's like, oh, I lost 20 pounds. Oh, I lost 40 pounds. I lost all this weight. And then ask them a year later. They're like, oh, I gained. Either they're going to be like, I gained it all back. Or they're going to be like, no, I gained some of it back. Or a lot of people even gain more back. And the reason is because diets are usually lower calorie. And when we put our body into a deficit, like Reagan said, it learns to utilize that, all the things it's giving, and it'll use more of the stuff as soon as it's like, oh, you're going to keep starving us? Okay, noted. We're going to start collecting things that we weren't necessarily collecting before, and we're going to start storing a lot more things than we weren't collecting before because before you were feeding yourself an appropriate amount. Now you're feeding yourself maybe not an appropriate amount for your energy expenditure, for your movement that you do in the day, for your metabolism, whatever. So again, our bodies are so cool. I'm going to also make that a freaking (laughs) t-shirt. Our bodies are freaking cool. (laughs) And they learn and they learn not necessarily the way you want them to because... (laughs) While there is something to mind-body connection, our bodies do drive towards homeostasis. They want to function for as long as possible, and they're going to find ways to do that. And so, another, a couple other big issues that I have with the calories in, calories out, without those, is it also encourages inequality in the nutrition and health space because... It is not taking into account all these other things. And so someone who's maybe living in a bigger body might be told calories in, calories out. So all you have to do, all you have to do is just decrease your calories. But the issue with that is there's no definition for those calories. There's no, just like with the Atwater system, they're not taking into account the form of the food at all. So if someone's going down to an 1800 calorie a day which side note is not enough food (laughs) for a grown adult please don't go on 1800 calories that's not enough food (laughs) so they go on this lowered calorie diet right and they're like yeah but there's no definition for it so they could be looking at a lot of people will also start eating processed more processed food when they're trying to lower calories because all they're looking at is the nutrition label and all they're looking at is the top part that says calories and a Twix bar is like only 50 calories versus a sandwich which is 300 calories so like oh I don't want to I don't want to eat too much food today I'm just going to eat the Twix bar instead of the the nice sandwich that has all the other things to it And food is so much more nuanced to that. You need to have your fiber. You need to have your protein. You need to have your different types of sugars. You need your simple sugars. You need your complex sugars. You need different types of protein. Protein that's high in fiber, but also protein that's low in fiber. And it all depends on, like, your individuality. And so if you're thinking of calories in, calories out, You're also going to get almost this complex that is going to be biased. Like, you've heard everyone's had someone in their life. They're like, oh, yeah, I've managed to get down to only eating 1,500 calories. I'm so amazing. And so there's this whole complex that comes about with it, which just encourages the inequality in the system. 
It's always tempting when you hear phrases like that to not shoot back. Why would you only want to eat that much? I don't know. I just love food. Like I would cry if I had to only have 1500 calories. Right. That's like two meals. Less than that sometimes. Less than that. Yeah. That's like dinner. Anywho. Right? <laughs> dinner at my house when we had fried chicken. Like <laughs> uh. <laughs> But so it also creates this like this cognitive dissonance also. Whereas you all of a sudden because you're managing to eat so little that the person who's not eating as much or who's eating a lot more than you, all of a sudden becomes lower, a lower of a person in your head. And they've done so many studies on this. It is 100% a thing. When people are on diets, they're like, oh, I'm doing so great for myself. I'm amazing. Like, they're hyping themselves up. And then they see someone else eat a burger. And their cognitive dissonance is sometimes they're like, man, I wish I could have a burger. But in their head, they're doing so good that they're like, I'm a better person because of that. And I talked about this in the intuitive eating, whereas all of a sudden morality is turned into something that is revolving around your food. You're a better person because of your food intake. And so this whole system of calories in, calories out creates that inequality in the system and causes a lot of yeah, it's like a superiority complex. Exactly. So if you're only looking at calories, you're automatically, not automatically, but that is an inherent issue with the calorie system is it does encourage inequality. And then also it devalues the important changes we've made to our food in recent history, mainly being we have much more highly processed food and we have a lot more softer food. And that water system does not take into account digestibility. And so over the past 150 years since he's come up with this, food is not the same anymore. We have a lot more brown and soft foods, which inherently digest easier, meaning they have a higher energy value. And so the calorie system might not even take that into account. And so the calorie system is only looking at the amount of fat, protein, and carbs that's in something and then giving it a value based off of the broken system of the 449. And so something that is like soft, and I say soft and brown because most processed foods are brown, but something that's soft might on the label only be given like a hundred calorie definition when in reality you're probably digesting more than 90% of it. And the assumption is that you're digesting only 90% of it. And so you're actually getting a higher energy value out of that food. Yeah, I was going to say that I think it's like food labels, they say, are guaranteed to only be like 20%. They only have to be or are 20% accurate. So if you think about it, that's like 60% range either way. So like for ease of Example, say it's 100 calories, it could be anywhere from 80 to 120 calories. Right, yeah. So the value is inherently false, right? Like if you eat 100 calories of celery, are you really going to get the calorie count from the celery? Probably not because calorie is mostly insoluble fiber and we don't digest that really well. So really, even though the label says 100 calories, you might only be getting 50% energy value remember we're talking about energy value like the amount of energy you can get from a food 
And so moral of the story (laughs) is calories are not an accurate way to measure energy consumption and truly should not ever be a measurement for health and wellness at all. In my, I I will say in my humble opinion, (laughs) I don't think it should ever be used as a measurement because it's inherently incorrect. It's not accurate and a lot of people use calories as a form of measurement that they assume is infallible or they assume has accuracy when the reality is you don't and there are many other ways to measure energy consumption for example like i said are you eating a lot of soft and brown foods and if you are maybe you're getting more energy than you think you are and that energy might be going really fast so even though there's a lot of energy in it You might not necessarily have the longevity of the energy because you don't have the fiber to slow that energy down. So it's like, how can you explain this without a chart? If you eat a soft brown food, the energy that you're going to absorb is going to be like super fast. It's going to go into your system really fast and you're going to get like this jolt of energy. But you're also going to store that energy really quickly because our bodies are really cool and it's like we want energy for as long as possible so you're going to store it and usually you store it in the form of fat and so if you're eating a lot of brown and soft foods you're going to get that really fast bit of energy and even if in a couple of hours you might already be tired or you are might already be hungry but you still stored that energy whereas if you have a food that's full of colors not not skittles We're not eating the rainbow like Skittles, guys. (laughs) I'm talking about like if you have some green food and you have some purple food and you have some red food along with the brown and soft food, stuff that has fiber, stuff that has structure, that energy might not be the huge burst, but it'll be short burst for a lot longer time period, which is a better form of energy accumulation in your system because you're using it for longevity rather than like that quick burst that's just going to get stored right away you're going to have the short bursts that are just going to be utilized for your normal everyday metabolism you're describing what i like to call eat what you want add what you need sort of situation so like an example i don't know why i thought of this while you were talking but like potato chips would be an example of something that it's easy to eat a very large caloric equivalent of and like feel energized but then like not really quick so if you are opting for potato chips for a snack maybe consider adding a side of i don't know carrots and hummus celery and peanut butter insert anything else fruit and peanut butter that sort of thing because like olivia said that's what's going to slow it down in your digestion because it's not just a simple carb going on through. Right. Ooh, I love that. Wait, say the phrase again. Eat what you want, add what you need. Eat what you want, add what you need. Another t-shirt idea. Tell, guys, tell me if you want. Uh, I just want a bunch of t-shirts. I think that's just me. But, I mean, if you guys want them too, let me know. <laughs> so, yeah, I love that. That is a great way to do that. If you want, <laughs> If you want the piece of chocolate... Maybe add some crunchy peanut butter with it. All of a sudden, it's Glitch. dynamic. There's things going on with it. And you still get what you want. Another way mm-hmm. to define energy in your body is, do you feel 
like you have energy. I feel like we, a lot of times, especially in diet culture, they like you to ignore how your body is actually feeling when the reality is your body is like giving you all sorts of signals all the time. And I will say, to be fair, if you've dieted long term and you've done a lot of wonky things with your eating, is this necessarily an accurate measurement? Maybe not, but it's a measurement nonetheless, and you should take note of it. If you in the morning are eating sugar cereal and coffee, and then you hit, you know, 10 or 11, and you're like, I hate my life and I'm tired, that's probably because you had all of those, like, soft brown foods at the beginning and you had that really great burst of energy that got you to the beginning of your shift and then you hit 10 10 or 11 o'clock and it's not lunchtime yet but your energy is like depleted and you're tired and you're angry and you're frustrated and things aren't going the way you want that's a great indicator that perhaps you maybe ate what you wanted but you also probably didn't eat what you needed and so that is another great way to kind of figure out your energy levels or energy intake because whatever you intake you're going to get a result in your body because you are what you eat at the end of the day (laughs) and then my favorite which Reagan basically already just said this with her quote but variety is the spice of life guys how can you add more variety in color shape texture size into your food like you're you're plate shouldn't just be like brown and a glob it can be some meals are like if you're eating meatloaf and mashed potatoes yeah of course this is gonna be brown and soft but maybe how can you add something green to that how can you add maybe don't take the skin off of the potatoes and eat the skin too because there's extra fiber there like there's always ways to add variety into your meals and without taking away from the fact that that's the meal you wanted like Pizza is like one of my favorite things because it's so versatile and you can put so many different things on it. You could have pepperoni pizza with like green chili is the thing here in New Mexico. So like pepperoni and green chili. That's a full meal right there. You get the fiber from the green chili, you get the protein from the pepperoni and you get your carbs and your fats from the bread and you get the all the extra vitamins and stuff from the tomato sauce tomato sauce is very much a health food I don't want anyone to tell me different (laughs) tomato sauce has everything especially if you add extra herbs or if you add extra like basil to it or I have like I add this spinach stuff that I have that like blends into any food because it doesn't have a flavor fantastic all of a sudden you added a little extra that's a meal on its own and then the next day you can have a whole nother pizza that's like a white sauce with chicken and bacon and onions and spinach like <laughs> can you tell we're gonna now have I want pizza, pizza tonight <laughs> oh, i'm so we're jealous homemade pizza tonight so i think that's why like pizza's on my we've... mind oh yum <laughs> but Yeah, like how can you just add more variety, texture, size, size different, molecule sizes of food changes its digestibility? I say I think the rise of processed foods obviously has had some benefits in helping people actually get enough food, but has also ruined us because 
People forget how to create a balanced, colorful meal because we rely so much on processed foods. Like you don't have to – like I just think of – I don't know why. Maybe – I don't know why. I thought of like Little House on the Prairie. But it's like whenever they go to like their little store or whatever, like they've hunted for their meat. And when they're there, they always get some sort of carb or starch and then an assortment of like whatever vegetable is there. And that's how they made their meals. But it's like nowadays you don't really need to do that. And so people – it's harder for people to learn how to do that because it's just not what you're used to. Right. And again, that's the inherent issue with our calorie system. That's the inherent issue with the Atwater system is because it doesn't take any of that into account. It doesn't take into account that we've changed our food entirely. And so while the composition of protein, fat, and carbs might be there and the way that they define that might be there, the way it's digested is significantly different than it was during Atwater's time when processed food was like people figured out how to process butter at the time. Like milk was finally being, you know, processed differently. I'm sure there's plenty of other stuff. My brain honestly just broke and I forgot all of them. I swear I know some of them, but (laughs) it's just that system didn't take it into account. And our, our system also isn't changing it. We haven't changed it in 150 years, except for those tiny little modifications that I talked about earlier. But That doesn't change our labeling system. And to be fair, in order to change our labeling system to represent that, it would be very challenging. And I am going to acknowledge that would be challenging. Like if you got a pack of baby carrots, if the labeling system was accurate, they would have to do the calories of it. They would have to figure out the fiber content and then define the digestibility of the fiber content. And then they would also have to define the digestibility of it, whether it was raw or cooked, because there's a difference between how you digest a raw carrot versus a cooked carrot. So I will admit there is complexity there. But also, calories on the label are a good base point, but you should never define your entire diet on them. That's why I hate, that's why calories in, calories out is bullshit, okay? That's why I labeled it. (laughs) That's why I labeled this episode that, because it's bullshit, and it should not be the main focus of your eating habits. Your main focus should be eat what you want, add what you need. Mm. Oh my god, that should be like our our quote. (laughs) I love it. I support. I think, okay, revelations, revelations, insights. I had whilst listening to you deliver this very interesting episode is I think I discovered why I really don't track macros that often. It's because I eat, I don't eat a lot of processed foods. I love to cook and I use a lot of like whole food products Tracking those is a pain in the literal butt because you have to track every single ingredient and it's just annoying versus if you're eating a processed food, you can literally scan it like the apps have the built-in scanner or whatever and all the thinking is taken out of it, which then I'm sitting here like it's just another thing diet culture has decided to make money on is they know if they get people to track calories, they're going to gravitate toward processed foods which makes the processed food companies like make more money. It's a whole thing. It's all corrupted. 
the Ooh, end. Ooh, that's a good connection that I, I hadn't know. thought about. But it's totally true. If you're counting calories, you're automatically going to try and look for things that's easy to count. Because we like easy stuff. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't like something easy, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I also will admit, like, there's not, like Reagan said, processed foods have been positive in the fact that we now have the ability to, like, anybody can eat enough energy that they need. However, the issue now is the composition of the food that we've sacrificed for the processing. And so I'm never going to tell you to not eat processed food because, listen, I have lived the broke five broke life (laughs) for pretty much my whole life. Like, I understand that it's not always possible to eat fresh all the time. And also, it's not logistically reasonable. If you work 40 to 60 hours a week, Cooking for yourself is a luxury, and I will absolutely admit that being able to cook for yourself is a luxury. And if you can find the time to do it, fantastic. But if you can't, that's why processed food has become, is a positive thing in life. But how can you add variety even in your processed food? Like, you can get the little packets of, you know, fruits and vegetables that are in their little packages, and that's fantastic. It's useful. Canned, I don't know what it is about influencers against canned food at this point. I truly don't understand. Canned food is one of the coolest inventions that we had in, like, the Industrial Revolution. We're now able to eat vegetables at any time during the year. Like, asparagus asparagus only grows or is only able to like well now we have greenhouses and stuff but you know even even with greenhouses you can only get it at certain times of the year especially here I don't know why asparagus is like an on and off thing but you can get canned asparagus all year long green beans same thing you can get them all year long and you can make those good The whole diet culture has, like, demonized canned foods, and I'm not going to go too deep in that because I could do a whole other episode just on that. My gosh, it demonizes everything. Yeah. So there's positive to processed food, and I'm absolutely not canceling processed food, but I'm saying how can you add color, shape, texture, size, while also getting, you know, the energy requirements that you need? Because like I said – 1800 calories is probably not enough food for most people. I would say like 95% of people probably need more calories than that. And it totally varies based on your lifestyle, based on your metabolism, based on your gut composition. Like there's so many nuances. It's how do you feel throughout the day and being able to like acknowledge the fact that there's nuance to it and it changes every day. We're going to do a whole podcast on hormones and hunger because your hormones, especially for us girls, has a huge impact on your hunger levels. But just because you're not hungry doesn't mean you don't need a certain amount of energy requirement for the day. So that's my that's my TED Talk. <laughs> I I appreciated this TED Talk. It's it's one of those topic it's one of those things when we say Nutrition is nuanced. That's one of those topics that just shows you why it's so nuanced and why everyone who eats, for example, 1,800 calories doesn't look exactly the same. So thank you for opening that can of worms. Also, 
I don't know what it is about you that brings out the conspiracy theorist in me, but um, I was also thinking when you were saying how like people who are working a lot, um, how processed foods are convenient. Is this just another way where they're like, this is how we keep them being cogs in our machine, you know, longer mm-hmm. we give them processed foods so they can work harder and longer hours and make that the norm. But anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. Oh, another great topic. Guys, you should tell us if you want conspiracy (laughs) theory topics because, boy, can I go for it. I can go for it. (laughs) I know my mom would love that. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in our food system that are, like, proven conspiracy theories (laughs) that – Oh, yeah. I can go into. Especially because I, the reason I'm so fascinated with the history of food is I took a food anthropology class on my last semester of school, which was probably one of the best classes I ever took. And shout out Ian, like probably one of my favorite professors. <laughs> he really like allows for a lot of perspectives in his class and he showed us like the whole perspective of the past. 150 years of our food systems and how a lot of it's broken and broken in a way that's not necessarily fixable but is helpful to understand for you to make your own personal health choices and his whole thing was educating us as nutrition professionals to understand the history of food so we're not so rigid when we have people that we work with because understanding the history of food and understanding the history of discrimination in food and understanding how a lot of food laws and rules have affected how food is perceived and eaten in America is it's really important to understand the history. So I like to do the history lessons because it helped me a lot especially as a professional, like like I always say, I'm never going to give someone a diet. Intuitive eating is not a diet. And even in intuitive eating, there's inherent issues with it that I could talk about. But it's understanding that everything's going to have nuance and some things are not going to be for other people and understanding everyone comes from a different place historically, food-wise. And it just makes it easier for you to make individual choices that impact your individual health rather than being part of a system of issues, being part of the diet culture that tells you you're a better person because you eat this way versus someone who eats a different way, despite without acknowledging any of the other issues within the food system. So history lessons with Liv. Yay. Also wanted to just say that if you're a type A person like me, I'm type more type A than I'm like type A plus. Okay. <laughs> My brain. But I can appreciate if you're type A and you listen to this episode that it might be overwhelming because I, like you, love black and white and love rules. And the biggest challenge of nutrition is that you have to accept that there are it's there's no black and white and sometimes having less control by having less control over your food intake you actually have more control over your health status which is trippy but trust me it's true and i know it's hard to get there 
but that's why you work with someone like me or Olivia, Olivia or I, whatever's the grammatical correct there. But, <laughs> and I yeah. think that's why I love that Rain and I did this episode because I'm, I'm not type A at all. I'm type Z. <laughs> I want as little control as possible because I like everything to just be chaos. <laughs> Which is why and, we made this podcast. Right. So because different. I think it gives you a good perspective on both sides and allows you to understand that you can you can be type A rigid and still understand that less control is more control. And you can also be mm-hmm. chaotic, crazy person like Olivia and understand that some control and having knowledge and understanding of your food gives you more control. That is probably better for your health. <laughs> different challenges for different personalities. Right. <laughs> um, All right. Before I wrap this episode up, we are going to be doing a Q&A episode soon. And I believe it's going to be the second episode after this. I don't know the schedule, but we want your questions. You need to ask us questions so we have things yes. to answer. can be questions on nutrition, past episodes, our personal, anything you want to know about us. Like it doesn't have to be nutrition related. Anything you might have been wondering, submit. Yeah. can be to our personal Instagrams the podcast, Instagram, reach out by text if you know us personally. Ask it. There's on Spotify. I know there's a place to ask questions um, on an episode. I don't know if there is for Apple podcast, but ask us questions. We love answering stuff. And it, like Reagan said, it could be truly anything. Please Mm -hmm. let us know. We're very excited about that episode. (laughs) I know I'm hyped. (laughs) So with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It actually ended up being a little longer than I was expecting, but I hope you enjoyed the history lesson and I hope it gave you just a slight bit more perspective and allowed you to have more control and less control. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Real Nutrition Talk with Reagan and I. If you love this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, tagged us in a story, or just left a comment or question on what you enjoyed and what you want more of. You can also follow us on Instagram with the links below in the show notes. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.